Welcome to the University of Wyoming Today. On this program, you'll hear about what's making the news and about the people and events at UW. You'll also learn about some of the leading research that's taking place at one of the region's top universities. And now, here's today's edition of the University of Wyoming Today. Hi, Jim Kearns with you today. From the recent climate talks in Paris to an international glut in oil and threats to the coal industry. There's plenty of evidence that the dynamics of the energy industry are changing. Chuck Mason is a distinguished professor of petroleum and natural gas economics at the University of Wyoming. He's been analyzing these factors for many years. One of the things he has looked at is the recent lifting of a 40-year ban on crude oil exports from the United States. If you're an entity, and this is almost every oil major will be in this next box I'm going to talk about, but many kind of intermediate level producers too. If you are in the business of, of finding, developing, and extracting crude oil, as well as refining it and distributing it to fuel stations and selling the gasoline, you've got lots of irons in the fire. And if the price of crude oil goes down, you make less money on your deposits, but you make more money on your refined goods. If the price of crude oil goes up, you make less money on your refined goods, but you make more money on, on your assets in the ground. And so the likes of Exxon and Chevron and, you know, and Merit and, and, and some of the kind of middle-level producers, they, they win a little bit here and they lose a little bit there. And for them, you know, it's not so clear that, that this is a bad thing. So in general, they, they're of the kind of philosophical mindset, as I think you would find most economists are, that all else equal, we should have free markets and open trade. Well, that makes sense. Oil and gas economist Charles Mason takes a look at what all of this means for oil production down the line. The day is going to come when we stop using uh, crude oil for transportation purposes on the ground. That probably the day will come when we stop using it for air transport too. But you know, you could think maybe we've got electric cars, maybe we've converted to compressed natural gas. Something will happen over the course of the next 20 years or so, I think, that will move us in a different direction. And I say this because when that happens, the demand for crude oil is going to tank. So oil is going to get left in the ground. There's a really choice quote from the guy who was the um, Saudi oil minister back in the heyday for OPEC, Sheikh Yamani. He said, the Stone Age did not end because of a lack of stones. And the crude oil age is not, going to la is not going to end because we run out of crude oil. So, you know, we're just we're going to get to a point where we move to something else. This is the way that humankind has evolved for, for a really long time. New technologies come along and we move on. And we're going to move on here. So the question is, will we be leaving light oil that's relatively clean in the ground? Or will we be leaving oil sands or something like that, which is relatively dirty in the ground? And so to the extent that there's any kind of an effect, it's not going to be in the moment. It won't be year on year, but it might be going forward for a couple of decades because we have this shift away from dirtier crude and into cleaner, lighter crude. No doubt about that. Now, with all of the changes taking place, you're seeing more and more emphasis on the so-called alternative or sustainable energy resources. 
like wind and solar energy. Geology professor Carrick Eggleston is associate director of the Center for Photoconversion and Catalysts in the University of Wyoming's School of Energy Resources. He's optimistic about the role that solar energy will be playing in the world's energy future. To go with solar and wind and other things that are intermittent, we also have to develop energy storage. So that's big these days is energy storage. The other um, is smart grid. It's much more nimble grid systems where you can send power in different places on shorter time scales um, so that conventional sources can have a hope of responding to changes that are inevitable in the uh, renewable sources. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is that that growth rate is sustained by subsidies, right? Is by, by tax credits and things like that. Um, but the other major issue, of course, is it takes energy to make solar. And so, um, you know, if you're going to grow solar at a very high rate like this, you must invest fossil energy in doing so. So the net gain, if you're worried about climate change, from making solar isn't it? It ha doesn't have zero carbon footprint because it takes roughly two years for a crystalline solar panel to pay back the energy it took to make it. Um, so again, if you if you want to really grow it fast, you have to invest a lot of fossil energy in in doing that. It's not going to happen overnight, but many forecasters are predicting that somewhere down the line alternative sources will replace fossil fuels as the major source of the world's energy supplies. Astronomers at the University of Wyoming have discovered about 100 of the fastest moving stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Astronomy professor Chip Kobelnicki says the researchers confirmed the existence of dramatic features called bow shocks. They stack up in front of stars moving at speeds exceeding 50,000 miles an hour. Our team has discovered several hundred massive hot stars plowing through interstellar space at supersonic speeds. We use NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope and WISE Space Telescope to discover this previously unknown group of quickly moving stars. We were able to use the Wyoming Infrared Observatory to learn more about these stars, to measure their temperatures, their masses, and their sizes. And we confirmed that all of the candidates we discovered in NASA's telescopes were in fact these hot, quickly moving stars. The great thing about this project is we had a whole team of undergraduate and graduate students involved in this project. We also had five undergraduate students from Wyoming and states around the U.S. that participated in our research experience for undergraduates program this summer. This was an important part of their training as they are studying to become scientists and astronomers and they were able to use the telescope for dozens of nights this summer. And one of our UW Physics graduate students, William Chick, presented those findings at the recent American Astronomical Society meetings in Florida. And the results can be found in scientific publications throughout the world. And while we have a little bit of time, I want to share some positive economic news with you. 
The University of Wyoming offers a program called the Small Business Development Center. It has regional offices around the state, and as the name implies, it offers a number of programs to help small businesses be successful. The program's director, Jill Klein, says that last year, the center's clients contributed $13 million to Wyoming's economy. That is the amount of money the clients that we saw put into the business, either personal equity or or bank loan, a regular old bank loan or an SBA guaranteed loan, and there's a variety of other loans that they could have gotten. This also may include some grant, some of the small grants that the Wyoming Workforce Services provides or something along those lines, or the Women's Business Center. They have small microloans that businesses can obtain. And that is actually reported by the clients to us that, yes, I did receive the loan you assisted uh, me with. And so that's direct reporting from the client into our database. And uh, we add it all up, and that's the amount of capital infusion we had from all the clients we worked with. That's Wyoming Small Business Development Center Director Jill Klein. In 2015, she says they assisted more than 2,100 clients who created some 1,500 jobs. And since 1995, their clients have reported creating or retaining more than 11,000 jobs. I'm Jim Kearns, and that's it for my time. Thanks for yours. That's it for this time. Join us again for the next edition of the University of Wyoming Today.